January 14, 2018. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. i got Matt Norlander here with me. And uh, though we usually podcast on Sunday night after most of the relevant games are done, we're getting to it a little earlier today because, honestly, there's just um, there's just not much going on on Sunday. Virginia and Ohio State, I believe, are the only uh, top 25 and one teams that are actually playing on Sunday. So uh, we figured there was plenty on Saturday to get us through a podcast. We're here right now. And let's start with this. Norlander. A lot of interesting developments in the sport yesterday. You can only pick one headline. Which is it? Is it Michigan winning at Michigan State? Is it Texas Tech edging West Virginia? Is it a West Virginia player apparently throwing a punch at a court-storming fan? Is it Marvin Bagley having another 30-point game? Trey Young having another 40-point game? Auburn moving to 16-1? Texas A&M falling to 0-5 in the SEC? Or something else entirely? What's your big headline? My big headline, if I'm if I'm looking at this, if we're going, you know, like you just nationally speaking, college basketball biggest takeaway from Saturday is Trey Young tying a career high slash there is a four team log jam atop the Big Twelve. Those are t- parallel items right now: Texas Tech, West Virginia, Kansas, and Oklahoma. As GP mentioned on our previous podcast, if certain results broke a certain way, there'd be a, a, a four-way tie atop the league. That is indeed the case. And for those that are unaware, not only is there a four-way tie with those teams, there's not anyone else that's close to matching those teams at this point. The Big 12 is by far the best league in college basketball. We've said that since late November. That's going to remain the same throughout the rest of the season. But what's interesting is this weekend, it was the sever, okay? Texas Kansas State, Oklahoma State are all tied technically for second right now. They're all two and three. None of those teams, none of which we expected to compete for the second place, probably even third place in the Big 12 this season, are going to have a shot at that. What is intriguing is that TCU, as you mentioned on Twitter, uh, is a one and four team, and it's tied right now with Baylor and Iowa State. And Baylor, by the way, could not steal one that it kind of needed to on the road. Iowa State got its first league win, so everyone in the Big 12 has a victory. But TCU is one and four, and could very easily be 0 and five or five and 0 in the league because all of its results are either going to overtime or ending in in one possession games essentially. So the Horn Frogs could not pull it out, and they weren't necessarily expected to pull it out on the road against Oklahoma, but they've now been swept by the Sooners. Their only win is on the road in overtime against Baylor. So TCU is a team that honestly could be a top 25 team. I still think that overall, top to bottom, what they are is top 25 caliber. But when you look at their record right now, you can easily say, you know what, we can't have them ranked at this point. It is interesting to see that they are all the way down at the bottom at 1-4. and four. Meanwhile, you have Texas Tech getting a huge win. We'll obviously get to uh, what happened once the game finished and uh, the fans flooded the floor there. But a big-time win for Oklahoma. We both took the over in the Trey Young over-under game. We were both right. 43 points ties, uh, his career best, set a uh, career high in rebounds, and and flirted with a triple-double. I think it's only a matter of time before he gets to a triple-double. We don't need to get too deep on Trey on this podcast. We've talked about him plenty. We'll continue to talk about him. Uh, My only quick comments on him are, I think a triple-double or two is inevitable. And 
give me one or two more games of Trey Young going for 30-plus Oklahoma winning and going flirting with another triple-double or having double-digit assists or rebounds. One or two more games, and I think we will finally hit the point of no return for player of the year. He's not there yet. If he got injured, you know, uh, uh, ignore any sort of potential injury because that brings out uh, a whole different set of circumstances. But if he stays healthy... Anyone usurping Young, no one is is going to be statistically capable of doing it. And only one or two more games for him to to lock in his averages. He is proving that he is physically incapable of having truly bad games. So we are almost there. Um, But for me, Young doing what he did and then the Big 12 having a clog, you know, those things running side by side. That's the biggest takeaway from the weekend for me. What about you? Yeah, I I think it's probably that or – Michigan State losing at home to Michigan, losing for the second time in a seven-day period. And we'll get to that in a bit. But let's focus on the Big 12 right now. Um, As we predicted, uh, we do have a four-way tie. And it wasn't like we were way out on a limb there. Really, to have the four-way tie by the time we went to bed on Saturday night, the games on Saturday just had to go the way they were supposed to go. Like the favorite teams had to win, which is exactly what happened. Yesterday was unbelievable in the Big 12. So there's five games, right? Obviously, there's 10 teams in the Big 12. They all played, so there's five games. The home team won every one of them. Three of the games were decided by one point. Then there was another game that was, went to overtime. So it was like everything was competitive. Um, everything was close. And like poor TCU, I still have them ranked in the top 25 and one because I don't really care about – I don't want to say I don't care about your record – that's not quite true, but I don't care if you have three losses or six losses or one loss. I like it. Like I, Auburn's a one-loss team. I, there are three lost teams that I think should be ranked ahead of Auburn. Like I don't get caught up in the number that's in your win column and the number that's in your loss column as much as I want to know. Okay, who did you beat and who did you lose to and where did those games happen? And if you take that approach to TCU right now, um, their losses are to Oklahoma both home and away, and by and one of those games went to overtime, and the other one was a 1.90-89 game. Um, they lost at home to Kansas by four points. Um, they lost at Texas in double overtime. I mean, those are the losses. And they've got a win over uh, an SMU team that's still top 40 at Kempom, a Nevada team that I have in the top 25-1, and one, and a Baylor team that's still top 50 top 45 at Ken Palm. So like the resume is still fine, even if they are one and four in the big 12. Um, it just shows me that a really good team can be one and four. It can reasonably be one and four in this league, but they played five games so far in the big 12. Obviously those five games, as I noted on Twitter and you referenced have been decided by an average of 2.8 points and three of them, three of the five have gone to overtime. Like that's just bananas. They could like, they could really be, instead of 13-4 and four overall, 1-4 and four in the Big 12, you just flip a possession here or there. And I know that's not the way sports works, but just play along. You flip a possession here or there, they could be sitting at 17-0 and 0 overall, 5-0 and 0 in the Big 12, and they would be ranked number one in the country. Yeah. I mean, it's, re- it's really that close. Um, so that's still a good team. They've just had some, some really bad uh, luck. To Trey Young, I would say this. Um, He's just he's unbelievable. And the Steph Curry stuff like got started very early on. And it, and I've said this before, but it, it, it plays into what I'm about to say. And I sort of rolled my eyes at it early. Like, come on, like Steph Curry's a two time MVP and this kid was ranked 20th in his class. Let's relax for a minute. And then it got to a point where it was ridiculous, except for another reason. 
it was ridiculous because he's actually better than Steph Curry, at least at the collegiate level. Like Steph Curry did not do what Trey Young is doing or has been doing basically from the start of this season. Like he's he he's having an unbelievable uh, college season, an unbelievable freshman season. But in, you look at the greatest seasons in college basketball, whether it's a senior having it or a sophomore having it, he's having one of the all-time great, or I should at least say modern history, great seasons of college basketball. And here's the thing. He's doing it for a team that I think would be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament right now. Yes. If you put if you put up these kind of numbers, even for a mediocre team, like you are probably a player of the year, like a top 25 team. Like Doug McDermott wasn't on a one seed, but he was clearly the player of the year his last year of college because he was on a good enough team and his numbers were just off the charts. Well, Trey Young's doing this for a team that would be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And here's what I was going to say about Curry. You watch him, and it's not just the the ridiculous shot-making ability. I mean, he made some long threes yesterday. That you, Do you ever notice, like, when he lands? Mm-hmm. Like, he, he looks like Steph Curry when he lands. Like, if you go watch Steph take these step-back threes and these crossover threes and sort of the when he lands awkwardly or, like, on one foot or at least in an unconventional way because he's shooting from a different angle than most people are even comfortable shooting, and he sort of lands and hops or something – like, Trey Young looked like that a little bit yesterday. I mean, I don't even know that it's intentional. I don't think it's intentional. But, like, he looked like Steph Curry. Like, actually, not just scoring like Steph Curry or making shots like Steph Curry. Like, when he landed, it was weird to me. I don't know if you've noticed that. I have I mean, noticed. I yeah, I have noticed you know, a little a little bit of that. He also, by the way, it's not just the deep threes. I mean, he's got a great hesitation about him when he wants to uh, put the ball on the deck and then pull up quickly. It's why he's a fascinating matchup and it's such an unfair matchup for all defenders is because ideally you're like okay if he's going to launch this from 28 feet I'll step out but he's although he's not an A-level athlete his handle's good enough and he's actually got enough quick, quick twitch hesitation about his game that you actually are uh, really vulnerable to exposure if you go out and, and try and guard him out there and he's already a really really good passer now he has too many turnovers for my liking but also Oklahoma has so many possessions he did make a, a few stupid passes in that game yesterday that's still a habit he's got to get rid of uh, but absolutely with in terms of, of his form there's there's no doubt about it w- the way that he is able to get those shots off and, and yes sometimes how he lands is, is sometimes Curryish, which by the way isn't the best thing Curry actually had issues with his ankles early in his college career because of that. Or pro uh, career, if, I should say. Right. If you're trying to nitpick Trey Young, and really you would just be nitpicking, you, you you focus on the turnover numbers. He can be a little careless with the ball, but like whatever. Um, you know, some of that is just tempo related. Like he averages a bunch of turnovers because they he plays a lot of possessions, more possessions than a normal player. And he's got the ball in his hand. Like every, like the ball's always in his hands. And so I'm not concerned about the turnover numbers, but if you were trying to figure out um, his a flaw, well, then I, I guess that would be um, the flaw. Look at the Big 12 in general. So Texas Tech beats West Virginia. And again, that, they were favored. They were supposed to. Um, so we got that four-way tie. Texas Tech, West Virginia, Kansas, Oklahoma. You still sticking with Kansas as the likely Big 12 champion or at least co-champion? GP? You're not moving, are you? I know you're not moving. It's not just it is co-champion. Go check the tape. From the start, I said I would take Kansas to finish atop the league standings. I think it'll probably share it. At this point, it's hard to say that it won't be Oklahoma. Um, Just real quick on Kansas, that was closer than it needed to be. Sure. Um, Now, they – 
they'll they'll be better. I really do think they're going to be better here. Sylvia D'Souza is going to be able to play going forward. Let's see how much of an impact he can have. But I think Kansas is a significantly better team than Kansas State this season. And yet, yes, it's a rivalry game and all that. Um, but if Kansas State doesn't run a terrible possession on the last play of the game, doesn't get a, bear, a terrible shot off, and, you know, they, they're able to beat Kansas, and then maybe we lead this podcast with Kansas. I don't know. But uh, I still will take the Jayhawks. There's just something about that team and that league until we are proven otherwise. Um, but I didn't want to get through this podcast and not at least acknowledge the fact that Kansas was, you know, it was it was problematic the way that it played yesterday and probably deserved to lose. And a weird uh, decision by Bruce Weber, unless, um, unless what's his name, Barry Brown, unless he went off script. Because uh, that was a terrible, terrible possession. I mean, that was just... Well, I mean, he had to go off script, right? I mean, there's no getting around that. There's yeah. no way Bruce Weber calls a timeout, has his team, and says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Dribble at the clock, out the clock, start too late, and then, like, that's just not... <laughs> like, and then jack least, up, at, like, a, a falling yeah. falling to at the, the right NBA the range ver- three-pointer. Yeah. At, yeah. The very least, at the very least, he started too late. And, yeah. you know, right there, I'll never understand why... And I know... I don't know. I'll just say this. It seems to me from a math perspective, you would be better off going early. If you make it, you've got the lead. Mm -hmm. If you miss it, you immediately foul and you get another shot at it down three at the worst. Why, why don't more teams do that? It's worth a long analysis and discussion. I don't know. It's similar to how, um, you you see, uh, I think I've tweeted it, and plenty of people have tweeted it. Like college teams don't go for two for one as much as NBA teams, um, when really that's the much more effective thing to do. You should be going two for one in the final minute. Um, I don't have the answer for you, um, other than I sometimes wonder if college coaches maybe get in their own way too much in these kinds of situations, and they want to overcoach the situation as opposed to. Some coaches, um, you know, Mike Bray is certainly one of them that will trust trust their players. Just trust the fact that these guys have been playing high level basketball. In some instances, if you've got a senior, I mean, for eight or nine years. Um, but instead, you know, we can get this onslaught of timeouts, and then you want to hold it till the end to try and get this, you know, this shot. Because then, if you if you miss it, and then they get it, and then you can do a foul fest, and then it's a two possession game. I understand all that, but it is. Uh, it is unusual. I would like to see the college game emulate more of the program when it came to end game strategy or end of half strategy when it came to both of those things. Uh, two for ones and just, you know, if, if you need a shot, be smarter about getting the smart two than relying on the late three. Well, Seth Davis was tw- uh, tweeting about this constantly yesterday. Um, hey, you're on a final possession. Run your offense. Like people stop running their offense. Yeah. They. They um, they put the ball in their ball handler's hands and they let him dribble it and then you know they're gonna uh, uh, give him a ball screen or but like they don't play the way they normally play it's like they change the way they play based on that you know final possession situation and I'm not sure I think I agree with Seth on this I'm not sure that that's the smartest thing to do either way I swear to God when I start coaching college basketball if we are down one with say 20 seconds to go we're gonna try to score in the first 10 seconds. And if we score, hey, let's go guard them and 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 and, and try to you know uh, uh, get out of there with a win. And if we don't score, we're gonna foul and we'll get another shot at the buzzer to force overtime. Unless they foul us up three, in which case 
congratulations, they just did a smart thing. But I don't know. Yeah, watching the Kansas State thing, it was just like you went too late, and uh, you should have got something better than that. But to your point about Kansas, either way, it's not just yesterday where Kansas has looked not the way Kansas Mm -hmm. should be. I mean, keep in mind, they've already lost twice inside Allen Fieldhouse. They... um, you know, Kansas City to Washington. Right. They beat uh, Iowa State at home, but like only beat them by five. That's a game under normal circumstances. They're supposed to win by – I mean, Iowa State – if we're saying Iowa State's the worst team in the Big 12, what's Kansas supposed to do to the worst team in the Big 12? I mean, you're supposed to run them off the court in Allen Fieldhouse. They didn't do that. And then they need everything, plus a missed shot at the buzzer, to beat Kansas State 73-72. And so that's why, ultimately, I, I guess they could share it. Like, that wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world. Um, but I, I'll be, I'll be totally shocked if they win it outright. I don't see how they're going to be able to win it outright with, um, you know, having already taken one loss at home. Cause I don't know, like, I don't know how often these top four teams in the big 12 are going to be able to beat each other on the road. Yeah. And so, and, and so like you, you, the key here is going to be stealing one on the road, winning your home games, and then you'll finish one game ahead of everybody else. So my prediction would be. Kansas might share it. I'll be totally shocked if they if they uh, if they win it outright. But this is probably a conversation um, we'll we'll have consistently between now and March, um, because the Big Twelve, like you said, it's it's clearly and undeniably the best league in the country, most competitive league in the country, and I think uh, the most difficult league schedule to manage in the country, and um, and the most interesting league to to, to follow on a on a week to week basis. You know, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way now to buy, and that is with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, whether you're searching for some last-minute deal or planning a night out or if you just need to find a gift for somebody. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices. That's all fully guaranteed. And here's the best part. Listeners of this podcast can get 20 bucks off their first SeatGeek purchase just by using promo code COLLEGEBB. Promo code COLLEGEBB. So make sure to download that app, get it on your phone, and next time you're buying tickets to anything, a basketball game, sure, but football game, a concert, use SeatGeek and use that promo code COLLEGEBB. You don't have to search multiple sites anymore. That's the way it used to be back in the old days. No more. Ticket uh, uh, SeatGeek is going to search multiple ticket sites for you. Uh, that way, you're saving time, you're saving money. They'll find you the best value. They'll find you the best seat. So make sure you're using SeatGeek anytime you're buying tickets to anything. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. Before we move away from the Big 12, I did want to uh, focus on something that I'm not sure got a lot of attention in the moment because, frankly, I was on my computer until I fell asleep last night, and I don't, I didn't see much about it, but I noticed it when I woke up. It was on Twitter, on other social media sites. Uh, the court storming uh, at Texas Tech, West Virginia. Obviously, Texas Tech is highly ranked, but like they don't have much history there. So beating a number two team in the country, that is a big deal. And so the students were excited and they uh, stormed the court. And what a camera picked up is a West Virginia player um, appearing to throw a punch at a Texas Tech fan. Hard to tell you know, if it connected cleanly. The only thing you can really tell is that if it connected cleanly, or at all, it didn't really hurt the fan because it didn't drop him. Like he sort of just kept on uh, with his court storming as, as best he could. Uh, but it did um, ignite uh, another conversation that we've had uh, before. Literally uh, uh, every single season. Yeah, about about court storming and like looking. Uh, you know, thank God 
you know, nobody got hurt. But it is a matter of time before, like, a punch like that is thrown and it connects and now somebody's laid out. And you've got all sorts of lawsuits and, you know, there is an incident where somebody was paralyzed during a court storming. You know, it didn't happen in the middle of a Duke, North Carolina game. So uh, most people don't even know that story. But that is something um, that happened. And I'll just sort of repeat here what I tweeted earlier today. I'm not interested in being the fun police or sounding like the fun police. Anybody who knows me knows that's not me. But it is kind of crazy that it is acceptable to let hundreds of people run onto a court immediately after a hotly contested game concludes and get within inches, if not centimeters, if not touching uh, opposing players who just lost. Otherwise, the court storming doesn't exist and are probably upset about it because they just lost to a team that on some level wasn't supposed to beat them. I know Texas Tech was actually favored in that game, but either way, um, from a rankings perspective, at the very least, it was an upset. It's just a recipe for disaster combined with um, a, a totally unnecessary th- deal. And I don't know why it hasn't. I don't know why every. It seems like when I say that, a lot of. I think more people agree with me today than they did say three years ago when I wrote a column about it. But still, I, not everybody's on board with it, and I can't for the life of me understand why. Why is it? Why is it so ridiculous to suggest, you know what, the price of admission, your ticket stub, it, it provides you with a seat to watch a sporting event. Stay off of the court. We would not allow, like, if, if you, somebody hits a walk-off home run in the major leagues, you're not allowed to just let a thousand people run onto the field and, and go after uh, and just and celebrate amongst the opposing team. Like, in no other sport is this allowed, at least mainstream American sport. I don't know why we think it's allowed for college basketball. And simply pointing out that it's a tradition or slash fun, to me, isn't good enough. Where are you at on court stormings? Because I honestly don't remember. My tank is empty on this topic. I do not have a 10-minute conversation in me to go over this again. Nothing's going to change. Nothing. What do you mean this is not going to be the thing that ends court storming. It just it, it just won't. Well, well, that's silly to say nothing's going to change. Things change all the time. Yeah, really. This will has it, this changed, this will, GP. This will. This, this will has not been. Something. This has not been something that has caused more uproar or discussion than more high-profile court storms over the past six, seven seasons. And it's not going to be the thing that we will talk about this again next season when nothing has changed, and this will continue to happen until something bad happens to a human being. I would love to see it not happen. You need to have better protocol in place to allow for teams to leave the arenas before students flood the floor. Um, Some places that is actually the current protocol. The exact game is not uh, striking my brain right now, but there was an instance within the past two weeks where a coach helped keep the students off the floor after an upset before the team walked off and then the students actually stormed the court. I cannot remember what that game was. Someone listening to this podcast will absolutely remember that game and you can feel free to tweet both Parrish and I, but this did happen recently. That is the best case scenario. Unfortunately, it is not something that you can you can do on a on an every game basis. So it it's it this is it was an ugly incident. It could have been worse and you know, it's it's just something that bears every damn year. It's this like, I just I don't know when we're gonna change. Uh, it it really will have to either take a massive tragedy, or the problem with this is if you really want to know why these things don't change, is that the decisions on this kind of stuff happen uh, usually in the spring 
when we are two months removed from the season and any sort of talk about storming the floor isn't a hot-button issue. It's not something that has been part of a local and not even a national dialogue when it comes to college basketball. So while there have been incremental things in certain leagues, like the SEC famously uh, harshly fines its uh, schools, the host schools, if they have a a storming-the-floor situation, overall there is no NCAA jurisdiction in place. The NCAA actually prefers that the leagues take care of this. And so because of that, um, and because we haven't had a, a serious, serious, widespread, tragic thing happen, that's why we're here. It's why it's going to happen again next season, and it will happen the season after that, and we will continue to talk about it on this podcast. Things are not going to change. I agree with you that this will not be the thing that changes something um, or changes anything. Mike Krzyzewski, you- sorry to interrupt. Mike Krzyzewski and Bill Self the, the most prominent coach in college basketball and one of the five most prominent coaches in college basketball, both Hall of Famers, speaking out on this issue aggressively in the past half decade has not changed this issue. So if that if them doing that hasn't changed it, what will? Actual serious physical bodily harm to players or fans, and it sucks that that's how it is, but that's how it is. I agree that that's how it is, but here's what I would say. Do you think it's reasonable to assume that that day that you are talking about hypothetically um, will happen, that in a high-profile game there will be a court storming and someone will be seriously injured. Do you think that's a a reasonable thing to assume is going to happen? Someday? Someday, yes. Okay. But that should be the basis for the logic behind this, but it it simply is not. And and, and so you, you agree that it's likely to happen someday. I agree agree that it is – possible to happen. I would not say it is likely to happen because although there has been one situation that our friend Jeff Eisenberg documented a few years back in regarding to, I believe, either a, a high school game or a JUCO game, something like that, um, there have been literally hundreds of court storms over the decades, and there have not been uh, incidents in which there has been serious bodily harm. So that is why it's not likely, but it is certainly possible. Okay. So if you agree that it's possible, and you agree that when that happens, then, then court storming will be They'll, they'll actually be addressed. Why? Why wait for that? That's the only. Part I that don't disagree with you, Parrish. All I'm I'm making a commentary on the lack of action. We do this every single year, and nothing changes. Remember my dude in my wheelchair in the wheelchair at NC State. God, <laughs> you, you remember that guy? That was that was like three or four years ago. That was classic. I hate court storming so much, but I love that guy. He he was he was getting out there, man. He was getting complete, and then he got didn't he flip over? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I think they, like, I can't remember the image exactly, but didn't they, like, go mosh pit and they were, like, lifting him up and all this stuff? Like, I don't I don't remember. You might, be, you might be making things up now. But either way, that's the one court storming that I actually enjoyed. The rest of them are – here's the other thing about court storming. It's not like they put a bar mid-court and, like, a stripper pole. Like, there's nothing to do out there. It's not that fun. Like I, that, when people argue so again like, on television, everyone knows this. That's just it, like a thing. Like, oh, let's do it. We can say we did it in college. But it's, it's, it's oh, it's it. so much fun. I'm like, what is so much fun about running on a hardwood surface where there's nothing to do? Like, if you told me, hey, uh, Texas Tech's about to beat West Virginia. What a crazy win for the program! And immediately after the buzzer sounds, they're gonna set a bar up at a stripper pole. Yeah. On the court, <laughs> I, I'd be I'd be like, all right, let's go. That sounds like that, that that might get fun. Let's let's get around the shots and see what happens on that pole. That sounds fun. 
But given that that's not reality, I don't understand the fun behind it. I now it's well. Now it's not just that you get on television. Now you've got your phone, you've got your snaps, chats, yeah, you've got your Instagram stories. That's all part of it as well now. But anyway, that's where we're at. Um, let's talk Michigan State here, because I'm still in on Michigan State. Like, I, I'm not going to be surprised if, team, if this team makes the Final Four. That was really impressive by Michigan. To go in to East Lansing, get an 82-72 win. Um, Michigan State now has lost two of its last three and needed overtime at home to get past Rutgers. The losses came at Ohio State, a team in your top 25-1, and one, and against Michigan. Wolverines, are they in your top 25-1 and one or no, GP? I did add them. They belong there. I think they're 24th in the country right okay. now. Man, well. After yesterday's game, I dropped Florida out, dropped Baylor out, yeah. added – Michigan and added Nevada. Nevada, the Wolfpack, sneaky. I like it. Um, Love the Wolfpack. Man, Brit, here's the weird thing. Like, I know we're going to talk about the turnovers and stuff like that, but like, like Bridges hasn't been subpar. Now, he wasn't on our first team All American midseason awards list that we put out or anything like that. He was the preseason, cons- you know, near consensus, if not consensus, national play of the year pick from every mainstream media outlet. And he's merely just been a pretty good college player. Um, I don't know if one of the answers is why isn't Miles Bridges playing like a top five player in the country, and if he starts doing that, Michigan State will look like a top three pl- team in the country. I'm not cons- uh, convinced that it's all that because some other weird stuff is happening as well. Like Cassius Winston has been a noticeably better player this season. Now they haven't gotten perhaps as much out of Matt McQuaid as they want. Joshua Langford still hasn't made that leap that he really should. Maybe he winds up being the kind of player who he becomes a senior and then he's really, really good, but he is not now the guy that they thought he would be when he was recruited as a really highly rated prospect out of high school. Nick Ward, Good, but not nearly as efficient, I think, this season as he was last season. I don't know if there's a real answer um, in terms of a clear cut. Here's what's wrong with Michigan State. It can eradicate it and get better. I think that the Spartans are going to be okay. They'll be anywhere from a one to a three seed, and they're going to be a real threat to get to San Antonio. I refuse to bail on this team. I like the talent. Coaching goes without saying. What about you? It's all relative. You know, when we talk about what's wrong with Michigan State, they're 16 and three. I still have them ranked 10th in the top 25 and one. They're sixth at Ken Palm. Like they're, they're fine. All right. But it has been a rough last week because they got ran off the court at Ohio State. Now, Ohio State seems to be better than any of us thought. I mean, you saw them up close and did a nice story on Chris Holdman. I don't I don't think you thought this team was this good. Honestly, I don't think Chris thought this team Zero was this good. Zero shot Chris Holtman <laughs> thought he would be where he is right now. Zero percent. You know what? I'm starting to think, by the way, Chris might be a sandbagger. Because Without a, a couple- doubt. If you <laughs> really a- want to like pull the curtain back, 100%. <laughs> there was a couple of years ago. It might Maybe it was last year. I think it might have been last year. I can't, but I had Butler in my preseason. It was last year. And one. Yeah. Okay. But, and he was like, I just don't. He was like, GP, I just don't know. Like, I appreciate, I appreciate the confidence you're showing in us, but... I just don't know. It could be a struggle. And you look up and they're like, you know, awesome, like really good again. And then um, this team was like not supposed to be good. I mean, that's the other thing to remember. The reason they fired Thad Mata in June is because they didn't think the team would be any good. Now we are. I know. <laughs> We're going to jinx this. We're recording this before <laughs> they play against Rutgers. Yeah, they're going to 100% lose to Rutgers. Yeah. So, so <laughs> whatever. Uh, but anyway, continue. So, um, they and by the way, like it's not crazy to lose at Rutgers. No, yeah. So it wouldn't it wouldn't change the 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 general 
sense of Ohio State or just being, hey, they went on the road. You know, Duke lost to Boston College and NC State and Ohio State lost to Rutgers. What are you going to do? But either way, um, we were talking about Michigan State. And Michigan State, they lose. They get run off the court by Ohio State last Sunday. Then they struggled with Rutgers at home. 76-72, they had to win it in overtime. And then they kind of got run off the court by Michigan. Like, you know, this wasn't some final minute situation where, you know, or, or, or it wasn't like Michigan like, got hot in a second. Like Michigan basically controlled the game. And, you know, one of the many storylines was uh, the, the turnovers because they had 18 of them. I think Michigan only had eight. You know, Michigan was able to, to win by double digits, even though it shot a, a lower percentage. And I think it's because it took 12 more uh, uh, shots in the game than Michigan State was able to take. And that's a direct result of, of those turnovers. And the turnover thing has been a problem uh, all season long. Our former colleague and friend, our former colleague and current friend, Sam Vecini wrote about it back in November. I think he's November. your former friend. I'm still, I'm still tight with Sam, but yeah, go no, ahead. No, that's not what I said. I said I, our former colleague <laughs> and current friend. He's our current friend. He's my friend. I hope so. Yeah, of course he is. You never let that dude talk on this podcast, so I don't know how he feels about you. (laughs) Oh, no, he might hate me, but I like him. Okay. All right, there we go. Oh, I have a lot of friends like that. I never assume even people who I'm friends with actually like me. I just say – I just base everything on, like, I like that guy. He's okay. And how they feel about me, like, I I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but I just don't – I don't think about it. I actually, one I of my you've unintentionally tapped into the source of your issue here, but okay, continue. Yeah, yeah, no, one of my insecurities is that I assume everybody hates me. <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't, I don't go places lots of times because I'm like, or I don't call people sometimes because I always feel like I'm bothering people. Yeah. And then, and then what happens? I pick up the phone and I call somebody. Like, I work through that fear, and I go, uh, and then you know what they, I find out? Like, they're thrilled that I picked up the phone and called. They're like, man, you should call more often. You should come around more often. I'm like, I figured you didn't care. I figured nobody cares. Sweet. <laughs> so uh, Sam wrote about this back in November, our current friend, Sam Vecini. He um, you know, said, hey, this is something they're going to have to get fixed. You know, it won't keep them from being good, but it will keep them from being elite. And I think that's exactly where we're at. As I wrote in the column, very short column, but still a column, um, it's been 46 days since Sam wrote those words. And nothing's changed. I mean, they're still turning the ball over about one out of every five possessions. And again, that will not prevent them from being good, even really good. But that is an issue that needs to be resolved because I don't, uh, I don't think they can be national champion good, which is what they were supposed to be. I don't think they could be national champion good turning the ball over, you know, at, at you know, one out of every five possessions. Their offensive turnover percentage right now is 19.7, and that ranks 221st in the country. I guess I would just say you never expect any Tom Izzo coach team or a team this talented, but especially a team this talented coached by Tom Izzo, to be 221st in the country in, in anything that matters. And yet they are in that, and that's a, a problem. I will say this. Graham Couch, um, the columnist from East Lansing, who um, – is a target of the poll attacks all the time. Like, poor guy, because he seems like a nice guy, but I don't know what he's doing sometimes with these rankings. And so I don't intentionally go at him. I just find silly things, and sometimes they it just leads me right to him. So I'll give him credit here. Um, he wrote a column after yesterday's game uh, pointing out that, you know, from the offseason, and we're included in this, just immediately said, hey, Michigan State is going to be a national championship contender. Michigan State, like, is Final Four good. Michigan State's going to run away with the Big Ten. And the point he made in his column was, 
team went 20 and 15 last season and added Jaron Jackson. Like, since when do teams that go 20 and 15 one year become national championship contenders the following season? And I think that's a, like, with the benefit of hindsight, that's a pretty reasonable point to make. Like, none of us made it in the offseason because we were like, Tom Izzo, all these freshmen are now sophomores. Add Jaron Jackson. Miles Bridges is going to be the best player in the country. Michigan State's going to be awesome. I still think our opinion was like rooted in a decent place too. But the counter opinion was, oh, the twenty and fifteen team, um, the twenty and fifteen team that uh, finished ten and eight in the Big Ten and got blown out by Kansas in the second round of the NCAA tournament. They bring back everybody from that team, add a five star guy, and they're going to be awesome. Really? I, I think it's reasonable to look at it from that perspective, given what we know now. That's fair, um, and certainly if we go the next few weeks and Michigan State winds up not being atop the Big Ten, um, the opinion will look even better. Let's talk about the hilariousness of you putting Tom Izzo on your mid-season Coach of the Year candidate consideration list. Not Matt Painter. Purdue I didn't is second. Tom, I, did, I did not have Tom Izzo on that. Oh, I thought we did, but anyway, for the no, sake of the podcast, you, just you roll do with not. It here. You don't put words in my mouth. Roll with it here. So you loved Izzo, and uh, and meanwhile, Purdue true. is second in Ken Palm. Our this is why. Grade. This is why I'm better friends with Sam Vicini than I am with you. You're making things up about me, disparaging my name. It's not like you've never done that to me, so no worries. Um, <laughs> second at Ken Palm, Purdue. They go and they turn Minnesota in. To dust. 81 47. Minnesota's got its own issues there. The Big Ten overall is just a cluster of God knows what. But at this point, Purdue and Michigan State separate itself. Michigan, I understand. Ohio State, they're knocking. But right now, right now when we record this podcast, I, I still put Michigan State and Purdue on a separate tier. Purdue looks like the best team in that league. Uh, Reed Forgrave wrote that they should be considered uh, a national championship contender. I agree with that. Uh, I agree with that too. How about this, though? Okay. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're second in Kempom. You've got the wins that they've got. Um, the only losses came to a solid Tennessee t- team in OT on a neutral and a vexing but close loss to Western Kentucky. Um, but since then, they haven't lost. They haven't lost since November 23rd. Purdue has one of the longest winning streaks in the country. They're 6-0 and in league play. They're going to have Wisconsin at home on Tuesday. That should be a win. Then they go to Iowa. We'll see what they can do there. Here's the thing. Okay, and I alluded to this a little bit in a column I wrote when I saw Purdue in person at the Crossroads Classic back in mid-December. This is wild. Last season, we talked about Caleb Swanigan on a weekly basis on this podcast because, rightfully so, he was considered a National Player of the Year borderline frontrunner and certainly looked to be a top three player of value in college basketball last season. He was so, so, so good, okay? They lose him, and yet... They're this good. Like We talk about how Michigan State and what they brought back. and Well, Purdue was better than Michigan State was last season overall. And so maybe this shouldn't be such a damn surprise here, okay? What they've been able to do with the fact they brought back just about everyone aside from Swanigan. He was that good, but he had a lot of talent around him. And it's been awesome to see them do this. I just wanted to give a little bit of pub to the Boilers on the podcast because I know, I know you cannot stand Matt Painter and you hate this team. You've hated this program for like six, seven years now. But I'm not like that. I think Purdue's actually really, really good. So how are you going to defend yourself? 
I think Purdue is really, really good as well. I am willing to acknowledge that it's possibly I've had them underrated for a while. The reason, of course, is because those two losses happened. And though they are playing at a different level now, those two losses were not good on the resume um, at any time, but especially when they happened. What I will also say is that those losses look better today than they did then by a wide margin. Tennessee's a legitimate top 20 team, and Western Kentucky's like borderline top 50 Ken Palm. So the losses look better today than they did at the time. Purdue looks better today, obviously, uh, than it did at the time. And I love Matt Painter. Like, seriously, when people say, oh, you must hate Matt Painter, I know, and I know you're joking, but, like, Matt Painter is one of the most likable college basketball coaches there is. He's funny. He's down to earth. Have you ever heard his story about his recruiting trip to Indiana? Yes, we've actually talked about it on the podcast. Oh I think God. we've I, talked about I, it on the I podcast. Hope, I, there is no way we talked about all, the, all of it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is genuinely like if you were trying to do – like a, a, if you were doing stand-up comedy and you – in storytelling. So you're just telling a story but it's in a stand-up – like this story would fit like perfectly – I, I think I'm thinking of it in that in those terms because last week I think Howard Stern had Jim Brewer on the comedian, and he was just telling a story. It was just a story about being at the golf course. It wasn't even his story. It was a story he said George Lopez told him about being at the golf course with Joe Pesci and Jack Nicholson, and the story was just ridiculous, like laugh out loud funny. And so he wasn't even doing a comedy bit as much as he was just telling a hilarious story, and it sounded like a comedy bit. Matt's story is that kind of story. It is too, like, I'm about throwing up hearing this story laughing so hard. And so I love Matt Painter, and I really like this Purdue team, and I will not be surprised if they go to a Final Four, and I won't be surprised if they win a national championship. They're good enough to do that. I got them sixth in the top 25-1 and one right now. Is that good enough? Yeah, that's definitely good enough right now. Um, it's better. It's better. It's, at it's least better. better I, fans. Like, they should win Tuesday at home versus Wisconsin, as I said. Then they got Iowa at Saturday. Um, we'll see. And I think oh, oh, get... one, one, more th- one more thing I want to say about Purdue. You know okay. what it reminds me of a little bit? Um, Texas got way better the year after they had Kevin Durant. Mm. Like, it's because they basically brought – if I remember correctly, they basically brought back everybody – Except Kevin Durant, like DJ Augustine was suddenly a sophomore. Uh, Big Dex Pittman was a sophomore. Uh, Damian James was a sophomore. So all these guys got a year older, and so the team was better, even though they lost the National Player of the Year and Kevin Durant. Let me get the specifics on it. Texas went twenty-five and ten with with Kevin Durant, and the year after they went thirty-one and seven and finished top ten at Ken Palm and lost to Memphis in the Elite Eight of the NCAA tournament. So um, it's not completely unheard of for a team to lose an unbelievable player and actually get better. And it does seem quite clear that um, that that's what's happened with Purdue uh, this season. Um, as far as the Big Ten in general, I think you're right that it is Michigan State-Purdue and then a gap in everybody else. But I will say, I think the past week has been a good week for that league. Maybe not for Michigan State, but to have Ohio State emerge – and to have Michigan emerge, like this time last week, we were basically going, it's Michigan State, Purdue, and then, ah, 
But like Ohio State's legitimately good and Michigan's legitimately good. And to have those two teams emerge, I think is uh, I think that's good for the league. Again, pre-Rutgers, we'll see what happens there. Most people are going to listen to this podcast after that's over. Um, I don't know what else you got you got slotted here, but I just got a few random thoughts from Saturday. I'll just uh, kind of toss out there, and you can kind of take it where where you'd like to take it. Um, Bama got a necessary win on the road against LSU. I don't know if the Tide's going to make the tournament or not, but they needed to steal that one on the road, and they were able to. So I thought that was just. Uh, a topic, you know, that we're not going to talk about too deeply on the podcast, but the SEC is really, really interesting, and it needs to have some separation start to take place. And that kind of that Bama win, I think, was a was a big time outcome. UNC got a road win against Notre Dame, and damn, Notre Dame did not have Matt Farrell, obviously no Bonzi Colson. That would have been a huge home win for the Fighting Irish. Um, big picture, did you see, I did wonder. You, did you if, see? The, did you see the last possession? Yes. I mean, the ball just hung on. The I ground. know. Uh. So close. So close. Um, Notre Dame played really well. I actually wonder, when it comes time to consider Notre Dame for, I'm going to assume they're going to make the tournament, but then when it comes to seeding, um, if they'll get dinged for that or not not having Farrell, they played UNC really, really well. Man, that would have been huge for them uh, to get able to get that kind of win at home without Farrell. He's expected to play, by the way, uh, in a couple days. Bray told me just an ankle twink. They think he'll play in, in Tuesday's game. Arizona State dodged calamity by beating Oregon State at home, and Oregon State had to lead most of that game. The Sun Devils, uh, that would have been brutal if they would have lost that game at home. They were able to barely escape that, which was pretty huge. Kentucky got a win on the road at Vanderbilt. That was kind of to be expected, but still, they get the win, which is huge, because then I don't have their schedule up in front of me. Hold on. I believe Kentucky's next game is South Carolina on the road, and South Carolina just got a win. It is. They play at South Carolina Tuesday night. Maybe we'll preview that because we're going to podcast again before that game happens. South Carolina just got a win on the road against Georgia, which was pretty big. The SEC, again, kind of a kind of a cluster there trying to figure itself out. And then the only other thing is, speaking of the SEC, Auburn uh, yeah. got another win right now. They are projected to win the league at this right. point. Outright. Insanity because they don't have a full roster. They've only lost one game the entire season. That was two Temple and that was like an 11 a.m. tip at one of those random tournaments like that doesn't have anyone in the stands. Like I remember Bruce Pearl, like someone sent a video of Bruce Pearl trying to pump his team up before that game, and they lost by 14 points, and yet that's the only game they've lost this season. So that was just a few lingering uh, thoughts from the weekend. I don't know if you had anything off of that or if anything else in particular, but uh, that's what I got. Yeah, I mean Auburn at sixteen and one is uh, is is unreal. And I listen, there's not a whole lot on the resume. Like you know, they they've got a win over Tennessee, they got a win over Arkansas. The win over Tennessee is at Tennessee, but it's only two. I think two top fifty wins. That's all they've got right now. Um, I mean, they're obviously good, and they deserve all of the credit they're getting. And Bruce deserves serious not only SEC Coach of the Year consideration, but National Coach of the Year consideration. But I, I guess I would just say they don't have the resume that's like they don't have the wins oklahoma has right now no but they have won um, seven games away from home and that's no joke yes no i listen if that came across as me discounting uh, auburn uh i didn't mean to i'm just providing context to how they might have gotten here um but to go win at mississippi state i uh, mississippi state's not great but still like road wins are Again, in a season where we've seen Duke lose to unranked teams on the road and Xavier lose to an unranked team on the road and Arizona lose to an unranked team on the road, um, those are not to be taken for granted. So that was a nice win uh, for Auburn um, you know, yesterday uh, down in, in Starkville. And elsewhere in the SEC, 
um, and I only uh, bring this up because I was actually watching the game, uh, Arkansas like got out to a big lead on Missouri um, and then found themselves behind and really needed a some some you know nice uh, playmaking ability in the final minutes, but also a little bit of a luck, a little bit of luck to get out of that with the 65, 63 win. So that snapped a um, a three game losing streak uh, for an Arkansas team that was previously uh, ranked. So that was a fun game too. Like I had two screens, one on North Carolina Notre Dame and the other on Arkansas Missouri, and they were similar games in the sense that. Um, both teams that won found themselves down in the final minutes, but then figured out a way uh, to win and needed a little luck at the at the end. So those were two fun Saturday uh, basketball games. As for Saturday, that's a, I mean that's about it. Yeah. I mean, really. I mean we I think we we pretty much covered all of that. We hit it off. So let's so let's look ahead to to Monday because it is I believe our first big Monday of the season, and it's a good one. Yeah. It's uh, it's Duke. Uh, at Miami, and that'll be followed by Kansas at West Virginia. And I think this is a big spot for Miami because uh, while we were discussing significant things from Saturday, we probably should have touched on Clemson uh, beating Miami to improve to 15-2. and There's another great story. Um, a little bit like Auburn, they haven't gone out and you know stockpiled a bunch of top 20 wins, but um, they did get a win over, over Miami yesterday. And now Miami, which was... I think in some places a preseason top 10 team, certainly top 15, basically everywhere. Um, they're 13 and three, but they hadn't beaten anybody really. I mean, they beat Florida state at home, uh, but that's the only top 50 win they have. They lost on a neutral to New Mexico state lost at Georgia tech and now lost uh, at Clemson. So they need some sort of quality win, or at least at this point to avoid a loss. Cause if they lose to Duke tomorrow, um, you know, at home, that'll be three losses in their past four games, and they'll drop to two and three in the SC, in the ACC, and still be looking um, for their first, you know, super serious uh, victory, which is not something I expected to be saying about this team on January 14th. I agree. I thought Miami would win the ACC. Um, that's not looking likely. If they can get this needed home victory against Duke, then we'll see. Um, I'm going to save my opinions on Miami until after they play this game because we're going to talk about them. We will have a podcast for listeners that are curious around lunchtime on Tuesday, so you can look for that then. Um, Duke at Miami is uh, is much watched up. That's a 7 p.m. tip. You mentioned Kansas, West Virginia. This is the best like marquee double header I think we've had on a weekday so far this season. Duke at Miami. There's a lot. Somebody's of forgetting the Champions Classic. Okay, fair enough. I meant more as, like, on-campus stuff. But, yes, you're right. Champions Classic, that kind of stuff is certainly uh, bigger headlines. Uh, Kansas at West Virginia. Kansas has not beaten West Virginia at West Virginia in, like, five, six seasons, something like that. Um, this is a really tall task. I do not think West Virginia is going to lose this game. Uh, I, I just hope it's a, it's a good game, I'll be honest, because with the way Kansas has been playing and how West Virginia has gotten business done against the Jayhawks in Morgantown in recent seasons, if you tell me this winds up being 81-69 West Virginia, that's going to be a nice win for the Mountaineers and not surprising in the least. I will take West Virginia to win. And I'm actually I will take Miami to win on its home floor here because Duke has its own questions in general. Um, but that's both must watch stuff. And if you really are fixing for hoops, GP didn't mention it, but Butler's got a game at Providence. That's 4:30 Eastern. Um, 
Just okay, uh, an okay. interesting Big East one there. Both both teams could have their resume boosted by that kind of win. To me, those are the three most interesting games. You also have other ones kind of peppered in there on Monday, but those three are uh, are cut above. I think I'll go with you. I think I'll take the home teams both uh, in both those games. I, obviously, you know, I, I think West Virginia, at least in this season, and uh, is better than Kansas, at least so far this season. And so I don't. It's not crazy to think West Virginia is going to be Kansas in Morgantown. Um, I think Duke will probably be favored over Miami, just barely. But listen, Duke's awesome. Marvin Bagley's awesome. I'm assuming Coach K will coach. He did not coach Saturday. Right. Had a virus. I'm assuming he'll be on the sideline. But here's the truth: Duke has played three road games in the league, and they've lost two of them. And the only one they've won is is at Pitt. And Pitt's like outside of the top 200 at Kimpom. Like if you can't win at Pitt, just you know, just quit, quit playing. Like if you can't win at Pitt, quit playing. Uh, but they've lost at Boston College. They've lost at NC State. I don't know why we think they would be able to go win at Miami. And if they are, again, that's really concerning for Miami because you yeah. can't beat the team that Boston College and NC State beat on your home floor. You know, they did it. You can't do it. And then you combine it with you hadn't beaten anybody really all season. That'd be a problem. So I, I think. I think Miami. I think Miami wins that game. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what uh, what we get from that, and then we will be back uh, Tuesday, or, you know, late morning, early afternoon for your next podcast with plenty to talk about. We'll talk about both those games, plenty of it, and uh, we'll see if anything interesting interesting happens in the sport between now and then. But uh, GP, this was this was fun. A little a little good change of pace here. This might be the only podcast we do the rest of the season that's recorded at this time of day. Because going forward, with the exception of actually, you know what? I take that back. The exception of Super Bowl Sunday, that mm. might be the only other one if we'd opt to record on a Sunday then. But uh, but now, listen, we got this done. We got the whole night ahead of us. We still got the Saints and Vikings game coming. Yeah, it's, uh, it's gonna be a good Sunday night. It's nice to get this out of the way. I might go to a movie. I might take my wife to a movie. There's no shot that happens. I might. Yeah. I might take my – I might. I might do it. I mean, I might just stay here and drink and watch football. But I might also – I might also go to a movie. We'll see. Uh, you know what I hope happens Monday night? Hope what? somebody storms. I hope somebody storms the court. Somebody gets hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Took a twist. I wasn't quite expecting that. Yeah, man. I hope we get a court storming and a serious injury. I shouldn't say that. That's a bad thing to say. I hope we don't get a serious injury. But I do hope we get a court storming because there's nothing I like talking with you. Uh, more about than court storming. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. Shouts to my current friend, Sam Vecini. And like uh, Norlander said, we're going to be back Tuesday. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go subscribe. Um, you can do that at iTunes. Rate it favorably. Write nice comments and we'll owe you forever. Till Tuesday, take care. <laughs>